Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to finish what we started last time. And uh, then we're going to jump into 1 John 4. Uh, we'll finish 1 John next week. Uh, they're in 1 John chapter 5. So I encourage you to read that and to be a part of that. Uh, you guys have heard, how many of you guys know, can, re- can remember and recite to me the name of Joe's hometown? That's what I thought. Right. He's actually from Troy, but he constantly talks about this little dinky town right next to him and how backward it is. And he's not kidding, right? It's a, it's a really small, backward, Missouri kind of town, right? One of the stories that came out of that, that small town outside of Troy was about this family that went to St. Louis. So Troy's about, I don't know, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour from St. Louis. The story goes that a couple from this small town where Joe uh, grew up by went into St. Louis. First time they'd ever been in the city. And they went to downtown and they had some kind of uh, meeting in one of the big buildings downtown. And the story goes that they went into this building and they got stopped in the lobby because they were both mesmerized. It was a, it was a, it was a mom and a dad and a son and got awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody just give TJ hand for being so kind. They got, they got stuck in the lobby because they were watching these two huge silver walls move back and forth and they could not figure out why these two silver walls were opening and closing. And the son looked at his dad and said, Dad, what is this? By that time, the mom had walked off and the dad said, Son, I'll be honest with you. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I don't know what this is. About that time, the doors opened. Again, those walls moved open. And a woman in a wheelchair rolled her wheelchair in front of them into the opening created by those walls that were moving and they closed and the the father and the son watched as the light on these things went all the way up, stopped, and then they started coming back down. And then eventually these silver walls opened back up and a beautiful twenty four year old lady walked out of the walked out of the space. Dad looked right at his son and said, Go get your mother. <laughs> Ah, come on, that's funny. It's a joke, so don't be offended, okay? I was going to make it about Joe, but I, I just chose not to. So, First John chapter 4, why don't you guys stand? Let's read a few verses together, and uh, we'll, we'll get into this and finish last week and, and do this. First John chapter 4, it says, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let's love one another for love comes from who? Comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and what? Knows God, right? Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, right? Just so we're clear right? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love who? One another. No one has ever seen God. But if we, listen to this, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Which means that people who've never seen God can now see God if we love the right way. Amen? So we know and we rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day or on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like who? We're like him. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, right? The one who fears is not made complete or mature in love. We love, everybody read this with me. We love, first loved us. Anyone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. Anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us this command Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen? Amen. You guys can be seated. So last time we were here, we, we spent time talking about there is an antichrist coming, right? Paul or John says in 1 John chapter 2, you've heard that it's said, right, um, that the antichrist is coming. And so we talked about that last week. I want to finish that real quick before we move on because I didn't get to finish the passage. So if you were here, right, we talked about this, this timeline and Daniel's prayer. And ultimately what you found in Daniel's prayer, remember, what nation was Daniel praying about? Israel. What city? Jerusalem. What people? And what place within Jerusalem? The temple. He was very specific. Gabriel shows up and says, listen, the minute you began to pray, we began to give, prepare to give the answer to you. And so Daniel is praying specifically about this 70-year period where Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, right? Going to be, not going to be healthy. And he says, I read that from Jeremiah. And so Daniel goes, God, we're sorry. This is our fault. We were disobedient. And then he said to God, listen, hear us. And please respond to us and please save us. And Gabriel says, up and let me tell you, says, let me tell you about this. He says, he's going to give you 70, what? 77s. Everybody remember that? And we found out that based upon the text in Daniel, these 77s represent seven year periods. So here's what he says. I'm going to read it. Daniel 9, 20 through 27. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, And making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, Jerusalem. He says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. I've come to tell you about your prayer. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. And I've come to tell you, for you are highly regarded, highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Wouldn't it be nice if you were praying and God just showed up and said, let me tell you, right? What a blessing. He says about Israel, about Jerusalem, about the temple and about the Jewish people. He says, 77s are decreed for your people 
to, and your holy city to do what? Finish transgression. Is sin, second one is to put an end to sin. Is there an end to sin in Jerusalem, yes or no? No. So these things aren't done yet. And he said, I'm going to give you 70 of these sevens, right, for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, right, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy one. I'm going to give you 70 of these sevens. And then he says, understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, right? We have a starting spot. We know, listen, there's not 100% agreement on this. But I believe this starts in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. When Nehemiah is given permission by King Artaxerxes to go and build the temple or build the wall of Jerusalem. He said, from the time that the decree was issued to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. He says, there are going to be seven sevens plus how many? Where's it say? From the issue of the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and what? Sixty-two sevens, right? So 62 plus seven equals how many? 69 sevens or 483 years. There's still one seven left. And he says, it's going to be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble after the 62 sevens. So after we get to 69 of these completed, he says this, the anointed one will be cut off and will have what? Nothing. What happened to Jesus? He was what? He was crucified. How many people were left standing with him? Where did all of his disciples go? Right? He died with nothing. As a matter of fact, one of his last acts on the cross was to give his mother to John. Right? He was cut off and he had nothing. It says... Cut off and have nothing. The people of the ruler, right? The Jewish people, the people of the ruler who, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. He says the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Now listen to this. He, right? He now has changed the focus. This is no longer about Jesus, but about this other person that shows up. He says he will confirm a covenant with many for what? One seven. How many one, How many sevens do we have left? One seven. So there's a guy going to show up and he is going to confirm a covenant for set one seven. He's going to do this with the Jewish people. So people say, well, you know, we're, we're in the end times. And listen, we may be very well in the end times of the church. We may be getting close to the church being done, right? But... The Antichrist is going to be incredibly evident to everybody because the first thing he's going to do is he's going to sign a covenant with the nation of Israel to provide for them protection and peace. Do you think the world's going to take note of that? Do you think if a ruler comes and signs a peace treaty for seven years with the nation of Israel that that won't be global news? Right, it will. He says they're going to confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, at the three and a half year mark, he will put an end to what? Sacrifice and offering, which means there has to be what? There has to be a temple. 
You get this? There will be a temple built in Jerusalem. Because you can't put an end to sacrifice and offering unless there's a what? A temple. So during the time, listen, when you see a temple being built in Jerusalem, you can, listen, you can assure yourself that we're moving closer. And then this ruler is going to sign a covenant, but at the halfway mark, he's going to put an end to offering and sacrifice. And on a wing of the temple, listen to this, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So what's going to happen is at the three and a half year mark, because listen, you can read about the Antichrist, you can read about what this person's going to do, right? At the end of the day, we've got one seven year period left. We call that the tribulation. When's it going to happen? Well, it's going to happen when the Antichrist shows up and signs a covenantal treaty of protection and peace for the nation of Israel. We know from Scripture he's going to bring seven other countries to bear on that covenant. And there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem because he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering at the three and a half year mark. So for three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to be a guy that's highly favored in the world because he's bringing peace and safety to the Middle East. And at the three and a half year mark, he's going to take his mask off and he's going to show everybody who he really is and what he's really about. He's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. And according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he's going to walk into the temple where God's presence is supposed to be. And he is going to set himself up on that spot to be worshipped as God. And then all hell's going to break loose. And the, the, the seven... The seven uh, trumpets, right? The seven bowls of wrath are all going to be poured out in that period. It's not going to be pleasant. We believe and we teach that the Bible teaches that before the Antichrist comes, the church gets raptured. Because we're going to be done with our job. And our job isn't to be here 2,000 years, 4,000 years, 6,000 years. God isn't measuring time for the church. He's measuring souls. Because according to Romans chapter 11, he's looking for the fullness of the Gentiles. And once the fullness of the Gentiles is reached, and we've reached as many people as God has, has already pre-selected or determined or knows in his infinity or in his infinite knowledge, we're done. And guess what? We believe, biblically, the church doesn't have to stick around for the tribulation. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you read what happens in Revelation, you don't want to be here. Right? You don't want to be here for earthquakes. You don't want to be here for those scorpions they talk about. You don't want to be here for all of that nonsense. Right? And listen, let's not, let's not lose sight of the fact the reason why the early church taught this so often was to motivate people to stay on point. We teach it today to scare people. Right? To build bunkers and to become crazy people. Right? Who are constantly watching the skies and the signs. Right? What we should be doing is being motivated because there's a day when we're done. And we got to get those people. And here's the thing. People will come to faith during the tribulation. But it's going to be a lot harder to come to faith in Jesus in the tribulation when Christians are being killed for their faith. It's going to be a harder thing to buy. It's a lot easier to buy it today when you can sit in an air-conditioned room and eat bacon while you're worshiping Jesus. Right? It's going to be hard to come to Jesus when your next-door neighbor got drugged down the street and was martyred because he wouldn't take the mark of the beast. That's going to be a hard thing to do. 
and what it should do for you as a parent and what it should do for you as a grandparent, what it should do for you as just an individual of Jesus is it should motivate you to share the gospel. It should get you out to do this because listen, this isn't going to be pretty. This is going to be ugly. And God, when, listen, when God pours out his wrath, he's not messing around. In 2 Thessalonians, at the end of chapter 2, it tells us God's going, to finally, God's going to finally participate in helping unbelievers stay unbelievers. The Bible says he's going to send them a strong delusion so they'll believe the lie. There's coming a day where grace ends and God's wrath begins. And until that day, we've got one job, church. Let's tell people about Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about this time. Matthew 24, 15 through the end of the chapter. When you see standing in the holy place... This is what it said in Daniel chapter 9, 27. At the halfway mark, he's going to go into the, to, the, to the temple and he's going to create the abomination of desolation. Jesus says, when you see standing in the holy place, right? When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, spoken through the prophet who? We just read it. Let the reader understand this. Let those who are in Judea flee where? Get to the mountains. Let no, let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for the pregnant women and the nursing mothers. Why is Jesus saying this? Because once the abomination of desolation hits, the Antichrist has pulled off his mask. People know now what he's about and God begins to pour out his wrath. And skies begin to turn black and rivers begin to turn into blood, right? And half the ocean is gone and half the fish die and third of the population is killed, right? All those things, he says, listen, it's not a good thing to be pregnant or immersing a kid during that time. He said, if you're in Judea, go to the mountains. If you're on the roof, do not go into your house, right? He says, pray that your flight won't take place in what? Winter or on the Sabbath. Right? Don't get hope. Jesus said, I don't want you to be in a place where you can't do any of that stuff because it's against the law, right? Against the legal or against the Jewish law and pray to God it's not in the winter where it's going to be difficult to get there. He says, for then, when? After the abomination of desolation, there will be great what? Distress. That's a descriptive word about the people and the planet and what they're going to experience. It's the idea of unbelievable pressure being applied to something to where it's almost going to break. He says there's going to be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. We think it's bad now. We think that what we've experienced with earthquakes and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and wars and rumors of wars and all the atrocities, we think it's bad now. Jesus said this, it's going to be unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. That's what's going to take place when the abomination of desolation occurs. He says... And never, what? To be equal again. It's coming once, and that's it. He goes, those days, he said, if those days, what days, the three and a half years, hadn't been cut short, read it with me. No one would what? Nobody would survive. God would have wiped them all out. But God works upon his word. And his word said three and a half years. And so it says, but for the sake of the elect, those days are going to be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, what? Don't believe it. It's not him. It's who? It's the Antichrist. So he says, 
For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. I mean, the Bible tells us in Revelation that, that the Antichrist will suffer a mortal wound and die and be resurrected three days later. And the Bible says the entire world will what? They're going to see it. Every person. How many people saw Jesus' resurrection? Less than 700. How many people are going to see the false Christ, the Antichrist, rise from the supposed dead? Every person. You know how they're going to do it? Technology. The God of this age will use technology to broadcast that worldwide. And everybody will see it. And you know what they're going to believe? They're going to believe in Him. That's going to happen. And He says... See, I've told you ahead of time. And so if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Nobody's going to miss Jesus coming back. Right? He says, wherever there is a carcass, the vultures are going to gather. And listen, read Revelation. God tells the birds of the air, prepare for a feast like you've never had. And when God wipes them out, those birds feast for days on the carcasses of the people that God's wrath was poured out on. And you may say, man, I don't like that God. You know what? Then do something about it. Get as many people as you can to Jesus before they have to experience that God. Don't tell me you don't like that God. Tell me you love the God who sent Jesus for you and go and do the work to get people to believe in him. Right? So he says, sun's going to be immediately after the distress of those days. Look what's going to happen. Sun's going to be darkened. I don't know about you, but there's a place in Alaska where the sun just just set for the last time in, for four months. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world where the sun never sets. Right? I like my darkness once in a while. Anybody good with that? Some of you freaks think it would be okay to live with sunlight 24 hours a day. You'd hate it. Right? And then there's a four-month period where the sun never rises. How do you think you'd feel about that? Who would like that? We would all hate it, right? Listen, in the days of distress, the sun's going to be darkened and the moon, what? Won't give its light. Stars are going to fall from the sky. Do you know what happens when a star falls from the sky? Do you have any idea the size of the stars in the sky? They make the earth and its size seem infinitesimal. That's how big they are. Those stars are going to fall from the sky and hit our oceans and our mountains and our land. Stars are going to fall from the sky and heavenly bodies, the terrestrial beings, are going to be shaken. He said, at that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth are going to mourn. And they're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. Right? It's, it's these kind of things that like people think, well, you know, real people think if you worship Jesus, you should sing from the hymnal. Right? How many of you ever worship God by singing out of a hymnal? Right? Listen, what's the matter with you people now? Are you not participating? How many of you ever sang out of a hymnal? Thank you. What's going on here? Like, I'm excited. Like, Right? And here's what the song says, on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. What did that say? Jesus is going to appear on a what? Cloud. They're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. So it's not. Hymnals aren't, it isn't King James Version and a hymnal, okay? They make dumb decisions too in there, okay? On the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud what? Trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. 
It's not going to be good when the Antichrist comes. We talked last two weeks ago. There's already an Antichrist spirit here, right? But the Antichrist, this individual's coming. He's got one purpose. Convince people to follow his God. He's going to do everything in his power to do that. And it won't be pretty. But we're not there yet. And my guess is we won't be here. The elect won't be here. The church won't be here when Jesus raptures us out because we've done our job. The question isn't whether the job will get done. The question is, what will you do to help us get the job done? Joe posed an opportunity for you to participate now this past weekend. Let's do it in Africa, right? If you don't want to do it in Africa, great. Do it in children's ministry. Do it in the parking lot, right? Do it wherever you're at. But let's do everything we can to get people prepared to get out of here with us. Amen, yes or no, right? All right, let's do the second thing. I, on your, again, the, the notes are on the outline um, on version. Uh, just go to live events and you can find it. So here's the first thing. There's an Antichrist coming, but there's also an Antichrist spirit here. It's already here. We talked about this, right? The spirit of the Antichrist is very simple. And that's this. Anybody who denies Jesus, right, as the Son of God, the Messiah, Savior and Lord, that spirit of denial is the spirit of the what? Everybody say Antichrist. Listen, don't be messing around with religions. Don't be messing around with YouTube videos. Don't be messing around with books written by people who deny Jesus and who he is. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Don't tell me, oh, but there's something good here. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's nothing good there. Because our enemy is evil. And remember, our enemy doesn't care about you. The enemy doesn't care about you. He cares about who? He cares about himself. And the enemy only wants one thing, and that is Satan wants to be what? He'll use all of us to get there. He'll destroy your life to get there. He'll lie to you to get there. The Bible says he will kill, steal, and destroy to get there. He doesn't care about you. So when you find something, and all of your internet searching, and all of your watching on TV, and all of your reading of books, and all of these things that you do, you find something that doesn't exalt Jesus as Lord. Jesus as the Son of God incarnate. Jesus as the Messiah. Stop watching, listening, and reading. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. We all clear on that? Let me read a couple of verses with you. First John chapter 4, 1-6 through six, says this. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test what? Test the spirits to see whether they're from... Okay, great. Right? Great. We, we, listen, God's told us. You don't need me to tell you, right? Joey says, don't believe anything we say, so don't believe it. Go and read it for yourself, right? Here's what he says. Test how many spirits? Test them all, right? To see whether they're from God, because many... False prophets have gone out into the world. Do you know how many people are preaching as a false prophet today in our world? Thousands upon thousands of false prophets write books and create YouTube videos and preach in churches and host events. Thousands of false prophets. And here's what he said. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Right? He said, test every spirit to see if it's from God. What's the test? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That means he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He's not a son without the incarnation. He's not a man without God in him. 
He is fully God and fully man. He came from God, fulfilled scripture. If any spirit doesn't acknowledge that, he says he's not from God. Pretty clear, right? Listen, you shouldn't be messing with those things. You start messing with stuff that talks about Jesus in a way that's not of God, you're messing with the Antichrist message. And you're messing with the Antichrist spirit. Listen, do we believe that being a Christian is a spiritual venture, yes or no? Do you believe that in that spiritual venture there's a spiritual enemy, yes or no? Then don't give him a voice in your home. Don't give him a voice in your car. Don't give him a voice in your library or in your bookshelf. Don't give him a voice in any way, shape, or form. And there's one thing to know. Have they denied that Jesus has come in the flesh as the incarnate Word of God, Savior of the world, and the Messiah? If he has denied it, don't, don't, don't mess with it, right? He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And you've heard it's coming, the Antichrist. And even now, that spirit's already in the world. He says, you dear children are from who? You're from God. And you've overcome them. Overcome who? The false teachers. You've overcome them. He says, because why? The one that's in you, that spirit that's in you, is greater than the spirit that's in the world. Amen? Right? It's greater. It has the power to do things that the spirit of the world can't do. Right? They are from the world, these false teachers. Therefore, they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world what? Listens to them. Stop being surprised. Stop being surprised that the world listens to people who speak with the spirit of the world. That should not surprise you. Just like it shouldn't surprise you if people who follow Jesus listen to the spirit of Jesus. It shouldn't surprise you. Right? He goes on to say, we're from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Right? So anybody that doesn't like me to preach long isn't from God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please, I'm kidding. Don't, don't, don't say that I was serious. I was joking, right? But whoever is not from God does not, listen to this, but whoever is not from God, what? So one of the things I get, I get asked all the time. I, this, is, this is the number one question I would say in the last 22 years of ministry I've been asked. And it goes something like this. Man, pastor, I've got this, I've got this friend, right? Or I've got this relative. And man, I've been talking to him and talking to him about Jesus, right? I've been, I've been talking and talking and talking and they're just not responding. Pastor, I don't, pastor, I don't know what else to say. Can you help me? Can you help me so that I'll know what to say to them? Did you just hear what John said? It says, whoever is not from God does not listen to So, let me ask you a question, church. How do you suppose a world that won't listen to the Spirit of God will follow God? How does a world that won't listen to your message follow the person who your message is talking about? You see, that's the challenge. So many of us, listen, there's no, people online, welcome, we're glad you're here. But those of you in here and those of you online, we all have people we want to see come to faith in Jesus. Amen? How do we get them there? We think the best way to do it is to talk them to death. Right? If we present our argument, if we quote scripture, if we give them the finger wag or the eye roll or whatever, right? If we lecture them on Facebook and use social media to take our stand, they're going to listen. Did you hear what scripture said? It said, they're not from us. And because they're not from us, they won't what? listen to you. So the first thing you should learn is stop talking. Stop talking. 
Because they're not going to hear you. They're never going to hear you. So how do you get them to believe? You have to show them. you got to show them. We spend all of our time trying to convince them with our words. Do you have any idea how many Christian parents have lectured teenagers out of the church? Do you have any idea how many grandparents have pushed their grandkids away from Jesus? Do you have any idea how many spouses have pushed their unbelieving spouse further from the church? Because somehow they're convinced their words will resonate and make a difference. Bring that verse back up, would you, Dave? But whoever is not from God does not to us. So we've got to get over that. Instead, we came up with these kind of sayings. If you want, right, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? Words without actions mean nothing. Jesus, James said it this way, faith without works is... Listen, it's time for the church to recognize we've got the most amazing message in the world. It will rescue you for all eternity. It will pay your debt, set you free, and allow you a safe passage to spend eternity right back here where heaven and earth come together. And the only way to get people to believe the message is start showing them. Stop lecturing, stop speaking. And you say, well, pastor, if I don't say anything, if I don't say anything, how am I ever going to be? Listen, you're going to have to learn how to trust you're going to have to learn how to trust the work that God does through His Spirit and His Word. You're going to have to learn how to trust. You're going to have to learn how to let go of trying to be the person that saves somebody. Jesus will do that. You just have to show them Jesus. And how do you do that? You do that by what 1 John chapter 4 teaches after this. Because he goes on. Go, go, go ahead and go down to 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. It's in that second, it's in that, uh, in that second point. This is, this is what we've got to learn how to do, right? This is where, this is where, so there is a, there is a, there is an antichrist coming. Everybody clear on that? There is a spirit of antichrist here, right? Everybody clear on that? Listen, I, there's a bunch of scriptures that I put in my notes that you can read through, right? To tell you about false teachers. Listen, if there's a spirit of the world, there's going to have to be a person who speaks on behalf of that spirit. They're everywhere. There are Listen, there are churches being built on false prophets, false prophets in their teaching. It's happening all the time, right? But if there's an antichrist coming and there's a spirit of antichrist here, there's also the real Christ here. Somebody say amen. Jesus is also here. So if the world won't listen to us, how do we get them to see Jesus so they can accept it? We show it to them. And that's what John says, right? First John chapter 4. It says this in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God what? Everybody say that word again. Showed. This is how God said his love to us. This is how God spoke his love to us. This is how God showed. See it? God didn't write you a letter, send you an email private message you on Facebook. You know what he did? The Bible says he sent his one and only son into the world that we what might live through him. God did what? He showed. For God so loved the world that he gave a speech. No. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He showed it. You know, there's a lot of pitching of fits going on in churches today about what's happening in our world and what's happening in our country, what's happening in our nation. And listen, I get it. I was born and raised in this country. My dad served in the Air Force. I get the loyalty. I get the, the nationalistic fever and pride of your nation. We're not the only nation that gets that. If you don't believe me, watch the Olympics or the World Cup, right? People freak out over the national love they have for their country, no matter what kind of country it is. We're talking about how do we get our world back? How do we get our nation back? Right? How do we get our nation back into believing that God is God and that Jesus is Jesus and this book matters? How do we do that? And the way the church has decided to do it is to attack the world verbally. That's how we're doing it. And if you don't believe me, then you're not paying attention. Just watch and listen. We believe that the best way to win the world back is to fight fire with fire. Here's what God said. God showed us his love. God gave us his love. He didn't speak it. He didn't write it. And he didn't post it. He showed it. Is that clear to everybody? And so he says, verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he's what? Given us his spirit. Again, I say this all the time. You want to know how God knows that you're his? How God knows that you're his daughter, his son? It's not because of what church you go to. Not because of what Bible you read. Not, not because you sing hymns out of the hymnal that are written wrong. Here's how God knows. He sees the Holy Spirit in you. There's only one thing that identifies you as God. And that's his presence of the Holy Spirit. So it says that we've seen and we've testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God... What's it say? Everybody read that last line with me. Everybody online, everybody in here. God. Do you, do you have any idea of the power and the authority that you and I have as believers in Jesus? Did you hear what he said? He said, if, if this is you, bring that verse back up, verse 6, 15. If anyone acknowledges Jesus, Son of God, everybody online, everybody in here. Everybody that's watching this later on YouTube or whatever. How many of you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God? Let me see you say amen. amen. Right? Here's what it says. Anyone acknowledge you Son of God? God what? Lives in you. Stop. We talk about we talk about this. Our country needs God. We got people wanting to take under God out of the pledge of, pledge of allegiance. Right? We can't have that. They're taking, they're taking God out of the schools, right? You turn around and every time you turn around, they're taking God out of everything. Really? I didn't notice that because the Bible says if you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in who? You. We go to schools, we go to grocery stores, we go all over the place, and guess who's present every time you go? You get the power and the magnitude and the majesty and the blessing of that opportunity. Every time you walk through the front door of your home, you bring in the presence of God. Not the God who we're afraid to 
to, to see in person because we'll be wiped out. Not the God who made the universe, but the God who did all of that and lives in you. Walked in your front door. Tonight it'll walk into your bedroom. It'll walk into your kid's room. It'll show up at your kid's games. It'll go to the grocery store. If it's me, it'll be at McDonald's before midnight, right? Every time I go, I go because God lives in me. And we talk about, well, the world, the world, the world needs to repent. It needs to turn back to God. Yes, but it can't see them because all the people of God do is keep speaking and they're not listening. It's time for us to show God. Instead of saying God. Does that make sense to you? Look at verse 15. Bring that verse up one more time. It says that God lives in us. God lives in us. And we live in God. We're protected. We're protected. If you want, listen, if you want to see something comical, that's not fair. You want to see something funny, that's probably not fair either. There are safety members in this room today. And periodically, they get, they, get, they get assigned different spots, right? We, they get assigned different spots. Some get assigned at children's ministry. Some have the, the responsibility of the hallway. Some are in charge in the back. And every once in a while, you'll get assigned to the pastor who preaches, right? I love seeing Joe walk through the hallway on a Sunday with the safety member five feet behind him and to the right, right? Following him everywhere he goes. Ron, am I, is that true? Right? They'll meet us off stage. They'll walk by there. Now, I, I try to outrun the safe team member. I don't want him following me. Like, like I will just point blank lie to him. I'm going to the bathroom. See you. And then I'll just, and then they'll pass me in the hallway and they'll be like, you know. But Joe, Joe walks around the hallway with these people right beside him. And listen, there's been times he's needed that <laughs> because of some of the stupid stuff that he has to confront. Because... He's protected. He has confidence in these hallways. Listen, is our world and our nation turning from God? Yeah. Do they need to turn back? Yes. And how are they going to get there? They're going to have to see him. They're going to have to see this God who loves them. And he told us. He said, this is how the world's going to experience my love. They're going to experience my gift of Jesus. So how are they going to experience Jesus? You and I get to show them. You and I get to show them. Unless they weren't protected in this. Because not only does God live in me, but I live in Him. I've got His protection. I have got a bodyguard of bodyguards of bodyguards following me. So whether I go to Haiti or Guatemala or Africa, or I'm dumb enough to serve in the children's ministry or to spend time with teenagers, right? You're protected. You're covered. Verse 17 says this. In this way. Right there. Verse 17. First John 17. In this way, let's do this. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Everybody read it with me. Okay, stop, stop, stop. This is the last verse. We got to get this right. Right? Because... That's awesome. We are like him. Listen to that. Did you hear what he said? Because we are like him. Listen, the world's got plenty of God. It just can't see him. Because the people that are 
supposed to show God's gift of love, Jesus, are too busy speaking. Speaking. And we know, we know they're not listening to us now, don't we? So talk less, serve more, right? Give fewer speeches and wash more feet, right? Write fewer posts and say more prayers. There's a way for us to do a better job. And it's not attacking the enemy because Ephesians chapter 6 says the world and, and, and the people and flesh and blood, they're not our enemy. So don't treat them like one. And if our real enemy is a spiritual enemy, let's defeat him spiritually. And who defeated him spiritually? Jesus did. So man, the world needs to see Jesus. Amen? And you and I get the privilege of doing that everywhere we go. Let's pray. God, thank you for warning us that the Antichrist is coming and for painting such a picture. Thank you for giving us fair warning that your wrath will be poured out one day. But thank you, most of all, for setting up local churches, local communities of faith to show the world Jesus. It's not whether the world needs Jesus. It's not whether the world needs to repent. It's whether the world's going to get an honest opportunity to make that decision. That's why we say, and I hope everybody hears, we exist for one reason, to make it hard for people to go to hell. I just pray that we'll keep doing it the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.